All right. Boy, it's good to be here. I don't know why I'm so excited to be here today. It must have something to do with you all and, and the Lord. I don't know. I think that's probably what it is. Are y'all excited to be here? I can see it on your faces. You got big smiles on your faces. All right. Okay. Let's turn to John 16 this morning. John chapter 16. And the message is entitled today, uh, depends on where you put the emphasis, it's either convict or convict. Convict or convict. Those two things have a lot of things in common, those two words do. But as you're turning to John 16, I want to tell you a little story about a lady who was driving her mother on an errand one day. And as she was driving down the road, she, she went a little faster than the speed limit sign said she should. And so um, her mother was over there saying, you need to slow down, honey. You're going too fast. And ever so often, she would slow down a little bit, but she'd just go right back to where she was at. And, uh, and her mother kept warning her, but the daughter didn't really listen. Can anybody relate to that? Don't, don't answer that. Probably a good idea not to. And so uh, eventually a, a state trooper comes out, pulls her over, gives her a ticket, and walks away. And as, as he walks away, she says, well, the least he could have done was let me off with a warning. And her mother said, honey, I gave you the warning. He gave you the ticket. So this warning, this idea of a warning is what we're want, wanting to focus in on this morning as we look at what scripture tells us about the Holy Spirit and part of the job of the Holy Spirit is to give a warning and in the scripture that we're going to read today we're going to see that he is warning the world he is convicting the world of several things of sin of righteousness and of judgment and I want us to take a look at what that means what does that mean so let's go there to John chapter 16 and let's just jump ahead uh, to verse number 7. Verse number 7 of John chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth that it is expedient for you or it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I go not away, the comforter or the helper will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. So there, Jesus is saying, hey, it's good that I'm leaving because when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come and just wait until you see what he's going to do for you. So let's move on. Verse number eight. And when he has come, he will reprove or convict, depending on what translation you have. And when he has come, he will reprove or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me of righteousness because I go to my father and ye see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged so I want to stop right there and I want to I want us to to well first of all let me go over a couple of definitions first of all I want to take a look at the word convict what does convict mean and this is what convict means. It means to find guilty of a wrongful act or to declare guilty. So that is what convict is, to, to declare guilty. Now, conviction, I want you to think about the word conviction. And what does conviction mean? Well, it means 
to possess a deeply held belief. Those, those are two differences. Uh, differences between two words that seem very similar. And you will be hard-pressed to find uh, throughout Scripture the word Holy Spirit and convict used together in the way that it's used here. We'll see, that we'll see about conviction throughout Scripture, but it is very, it's rare that you're going to see the Holy Spirit and convict used this way in Scripture. I want to point that out. And then I want to point this out. I want us to notice who Jesus says that the Spirit is going to convict. Now, that scripture that we just read said that he will convict the world. And so we see that it's not really talking about convicting us because he's talking about convicting the world because they do not believe. Now, the Holy Spirit has things that he does for us, but that's not the focus here. The focus is convicting the loss, convicting those who do not believe. Now, I have always felt, and I've spent a lot of time in my life thinking that I knew what the Holy Spirit did and that I believed that one of the biggest jobs that he had was convicting us believers of our sin. Now, Jesus, Jesus was all about love and forgiveness, and Jesus is just so wonderful. But the Holy Spirit is just continually dissatisfied with me. And he is upset with me because of my performance and the choices that I make to sin. And I almost view the Holy Spirit as someone who would walk through the rooms of my heart and go, what a mess. How can you live like this? And I just, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an underlying tone of condemnation there. But that's contrary to Scripture in John that says that there is therefore now no condemnation. So how do we reconcile all of this? And, and what does all of this mean? Because I, I believe that I could tell you that if I know anything, it's that the, whole, that the Holy Spirit is, is convicting me. Basically making me a convict, making me a person that is guilty and deserves punishment and as Scripture says, because of sin, the punishment for sin is death. But we know that Jesus already died for our sins, so there's no punishment left. So how do I, how do I, how do I work all this out in my mind? Because I'm kind of confused about things. And, and then what would be real easy for me to do is, oh, I'll, I won't, I'll do the gone with the wind mentality. I won't think about this today. I'll think about this tomorrow because after all, tomorrow is another day. But it's something that we need to understand because it's a powerful truth for all of us. So scripture today, this, what we read today tells us that he will convict the world because they do not believe. And he convicts through the law. He convicts through conscience. We understand that. But the world does not believe. But I do and we do and there's a difference there. There's a difference that needs to be noted. Now, what I'm not saying, and we've got to be real careful, real careful when we're talking about this. We're not saying that God doesn't care about our behavior. Um, when I'm saying he convicts the world of sin, he does care about our behavior. Think about how the Holy Spirit counsels us. 
Think about the counsel and the discipline and the teaching and the helping that the Holy Spirit does for us. He does care. But he would not use the word convict or convict to describe us once again because that's for a person who is guilty and is is going to be sentenced. And and death being the ultimate penalty for that. But he doesn't use that word to describe us as believers. Because you see, we know that Jesus died. We know that Jesus took the punishment. He died himself, which is which is what is required when there is sin. Payment for sin is death. He died. He paid for all sin. And so there is no condemnation left. We are not convicts. We are, listen, 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 listen. We are children of God. We are children of God. But I'm a low down, dirty, dis- no, no, no. We are children of God. But I'm a disgusting, I, I do this, but we are children of God. Who does he say we are? How many times in the New Testament does he describe us as saints? Does he ever describe us as sinners once we have become believers and children of God? Think think about this. Do we still sin? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We do. But what does he say? Who does he say that we are? That's what's important. That's so important. And it's important for us to make this distinction so important for us to understand this now this is what happens with the holy spirit and you and me as believers this is what happens his spirit bears witness with our spirit about who we are his spirit bears witness to our spirit about who we are and our behavior is not ignored because we do some things as christians that we should not do am i right and I see agreement in every every set of eyes here. You know, we 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 behave in ways that we shouldn't. But and he doesn't ignore it, but he counsels us in light of our identity. He counsels us in light of who we are. And we've got to know what scripture says about us. We've got to know what God says about us so that we can live the abundant life and be used of God in the way that he wants to use us and so that we can experience the peace that only God can give. So it works like this. It's like, hey, William, this is the Spirit speaking. William, that's not who you are. That is not who you are. You are better than that. You are above that thinking. You are above that behavior. You are high and seated at the right hand. That thought is dark and you are light. So therefore, you need to walk as a child of the light. You know what that tells me? You know what that does to me? Yes, that's who you say I am. So I am able to make a better choice because that's not who I am anymore. As Romans chapter six says, I got to reckon that I'm dead to all that. And that's what I'm doing. I'm reckoning I'm dead to that. Because the Holy Spirit is telling me who I am in light of my identity and what God has done in my life. So he addresses my attitudes, which is so important. He addresses my actions, which also are very important. But he never treats me like a convict. He is constantly building me up in Christ. He's not a motivational speaker. 
He's not telling you to look in the mirror and say, I'm special. I'm I'm wonderful. Everyone likes me. He's not telling you to do that. But he is building us up in Christ. He's telling us to set our minds on things above, not on things of this earth. He says, that's who you are. And his greatest, one of his greatest desires is for us to see who we are and what he has made us for. That's what he wants for us to see. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's counseling us in that truth in our identity. But again, going back to our scripture this morning, the spirit was sent to convict the world, to convict the lost and to convince them of their need for Jesus, to convince the world of their need for Jesus. And that is so important. Let me explain to you what we as pastors have done for so many years. What we have done is we have felt the need to sell Jesus like a product. I've got to sell Jesus to a lost person. And I've got to try to manipulate their thinking so that they will accept Christ. And if I get them to make a public profession and baptize them into Christ, then I've done it, I've done it, I've done it. But the problem is that the next Sunday comes and they're nowhere to be seen. And the next Sunday comes and they're nowhere to be seen. And the next Sunday comes and they're nowhere to be seen. And so I can't under, it's upsetting because these people made this commitment and now they're not coming. What's, what's going on? And then I read this verse from John chapter 16 that says that when the Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then I realized, well, that's where I failed. Because I was acting like I didn't really need the Holy Spirit, that I could be, I could be the Holy Spirit myself. And I could, call, I could convict that person. This, the Holy Spirit doesn't need my help to do that. And it's not my job to sell Jesus and it's not my job to manipulate people to try to believe and understand these things. But what I've got to realize that my job is to, one of my jobs is to let the Spirit do His job. Amen? Let the Holy Spirit do what He has come to do. And then when I realize that, then I can relax. And what I can do is I can witness and tell them about Jesus and what Jesus has done. And convicting is not my job but my job is to explain to anyone who will listen how wonderful jesus is to me he is so great to me you know i can't i can't say enough about what he's done for me robert talked about some of that and what god what jesus brought him out of in sunday school and i want you to think about how wonderful jesus is to you and how you could relate that uh, to people and to the world. So how do we let the Spirit do what He's supposed to do? And how do I do what I'm supposed to do? What does that look like? Let's look at that very quickly here. Um, and I hope this is I hope this is informative and I hope this is uh, you know it can be life changing. Anytime we get a, a truth from the Word of God it can be life changing. But it can also be a, a, a catalyst for us to, to breathe a sigh of relief and relax in the Lord and rest in the Lord. And that's, that's something that's so important to him. So the first thing that we saw in that verse was that the Spirit would come to convict the world concerning sin. And so what that means is if he's going to do it, I don't have to. I don't have to convict the world of sin. I'm, I, that's the Spirit's job. 
You know, the Barna group that does all the religious surveys did a survey back in 2011, and they found that a third of all Americans would say that they feel that they are held back or they're defined by something that happened in their past. That's a third of all Americans. And just as many said that they're dealing with unresolved conflict from their past. So what does, what does this tell us? All it tells us is that a lot of people already know that their sin is damaging. A lot of people already know that their sin is a problem. They don't need our help. They already know that. They don't need to be told that. What they need to be told is how it can be fixed. And what they need to know is that there's somebody who already has fixed it and taken care of it and is offering a free gift to them that all they have to do is receive. So what this is telling me is that I guess for me it doesn't do me any good if I'm nagging lost people about their sins constantly. If I'm a constant nag, well, let the Spirit nag. Let the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, do the nagging. He did not save us to play God, and he did not save us to condemn other people. But a lot of times with our nagging and with some of the things we do and say, that's exactly what we're doing. We're condemning people. We need to witness, not condemn. Let's witness. Let's not condemn. Because if somebody is constantly nagging you about something, you don't necessarily want to stop doing it, do you? Now, while they're around, you might slack off a little bit, but the minute they're gone, you don't care. You never wanted to stop in the first place, so you just go back to doing what you were doing. But they're nagging more than anything got on your nerves. You just were, you're just glad they're off your back now. Um, it kind of works that way, too. Uh, kind of works that way on social media as well. You know, a lot of times we feel justified and saying mean and hateful things about people who don't agree with us or politicians even. And it makes us feel good because we feel like we've taken a stand for righteousness. So with our anger and, and sometimes with our hatred, we get out there and we, we post and, sh and share things. Once again, against all sorts of people. But... The Bible tells us that's not going to work. And it says so in James chapter 1, verse 20, where it says that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And do you see, when I do that, all I'm doing, I'm nagging. And I'm just jumping all over you, and I'm nagging, and I'm letting you have it. And I'm, I'm so angry about it, and, I'm, you know, and just, I just want to do this, and I just want to do that. And then I'm reminded, hopefully, that Scripture says whatever you do, do it in love. Do it in love. So when I'm posting some of these things or when I'm sharing some of these things or voicing some of these things, am I backing it up with love? Is love, is un, is love underlying all that? Church, that is so important. Do we love the people that we are sending these, these posts to? Or is it just like we're just trying to do God a favor and it makes us feel good when in essence what we're doing is we're dragging the name of Jesus through the mud just so that we can feel better. But it's the Spirit's job to convict the lost that they need Him. Secondly, 
The second thing that that scripture tells us is that he, the Spirit, came to convict the world concerning righteousness. And I want to say this to you. I think that, that, that people sense that there is a need for personal righteousness. There is a need for personal righteous, righteousness. The problem is that their standard for righteousness is based on their own righteousness. And what people really hope is that they can get God's approval through their own goodness and through their own self-righteousness. Because we're Christians and because we've been taught and preached, been under preaching and teaching, we understand that's not the case. Our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. But people hope, you know, how many times have you asked a person, are you going to go to heaven? I sure hope so. Well, what's your basis for that? Well, I try to be good and I try not to lie and I try not to steal. And, you know, in this long list of, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm doing this. And ain't nothing, ain't nothing about Jesus in there. That's the problem. See, Christian morality is based on Jesus's righteousness. And that's why so many people oppose Christianity because Christ's standard is much higher than theirs. Much higher than theirs. And it makes them feel uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable when I'm around church people. Or I feel uncomfortable when you're talking about God because you're talking about how God wants us to do this and do that. And I'd rather go out and do this and do that. And I kind of like what I'm doing and what you're saying is making me uncomfortable. And this is scriptural too, people. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 20 Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So it's the Spirit's job to point people to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Don't look to your own righteousness. Don't look to their righteousness or their righteousness. Look to his righteousness. His is the standard. You know, I read about a pastor who invited people to come to his church and he said, if you have anything that anything critical or anything to say about the church or Christianity that bothers you or upsets you, we're going to give everybody an opportunity to voice those opinions. Uh, come to come to my church on this night and you'll have that opportunity. He had twelve hundred people to show up. This is a true story. Twelve hundred people. And when they had a chance to get up to the microphone and, and share what their objections were to Christianity, they said that church members are no better than anybody else. That was one thing they said. They said that preachers, all preachers are crooked. And I'll tell you what, with this boot on, I am a little crooked. What do you, what do you think? And then he said that the church is full of hypocrites and that the church is only interested in money. So in all, there were like 27 objections, which with 1,200 people, that's not, that's not a bad ratio, but you've got to figure that some of them had the same objections. But this pastor took all of those objections, and he wrote them down on a piece of paper, and then he got up in front of the crowd, and he started reading every objection that they had. And then he took the piece of paper, and he threw it away. And he said, you have objected to preachers. You have objected to church members. You have objected to bad congregations, but you have not said one word and you have not objected once about Jesus Christ. That's, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? So you know what he did after that? 
He started preaching about Jesus and about the love that Christ has and about the forgiveness that's offered through the perfect Lamb of God, the faultless Son of God. He preached the cross. He preached forgiveness. He preached redemption. He preached love and he preached righteousness, the righteousness of Christ available through a relationship with Jesus. And there were 49 people that were saved that night. Now you're thinking 49 out of 1,200, again, not great, not great ratio there. Hey, 49 brothers and sisters, 49 people that have been saved from hell going to heaven. Is that something to get excited about? Absolutely. So what was his point? What was the pastor's point in doing this? His point was this. He was not going to focus on the righteousness of preachers. He was not going to focus on the righteousness of church members or churches. Instead, he decided to focus on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's what made the difference for those individuals there that day. So a major part of what he is striving to do, what the Spirit is striving to do, is to point people to the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that they can realize how righteous Jesus is, how righteous he is, and that they aren't, and they can never be righteous enough. But they can receive the righteousness of Christ and forgiveness by surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ. Because there is, a, there is an understanding of a need for a personal righteousness. And it will never be enough unless we enter into a relationship with Christ and his righteousness becomes ours. Amen. And then the last thing, the third thing that we see in that verse is that his job is to convict that there is going to be a coming judgment. And when you talk about judgment to, to lost individuals, uh, you know, a lot of them will say, no big deal. You know, if, if I go to hell, all my friends will be there. You've heard the stories. You've heard, you've heard all of that. But don't you feel like somewhere deep within there is this, but what? But what if what they're saying is true? And what if... What if, what if I'm not with my friends? And what if, what if the things that they say about death and hell are, are true? And you know what that is? You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit convicting. People put up a good front. I don't care about that Jesus stuff. I don't care about religious stuff. But the Holy Spirit is working there. And as Christians, we have a, a crucial part to play. And that's what I want to spend the next few minutes talking about. Because, you know, we do fit in this equation somewhere. Now I'm going to read uh, from Romans chapter 10, verse number 14. And it tells us, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher or how shall they hear without somebody telling them? So it is critical, the part that you and I have to play. Very critical. Um, he isn't saying there that people are going to believe because the Spirit makes them believe. What he's saying there is that sinners will believe because you are telling them. 
because you are witnessing to them, because you are helping them to see how important Jesus is to you, because you are going into the world and making disciples. So we do have an opportunity here. We don't have to play Holy Spirit convictor, but we can be a witness to the things that God has done in our lives and why he's so great for us. And the really cool thing about that is that's our responsibility. That's our job. But we are not doing it alone. You know, have you ever been on a project at work and they say, this is your baby. You're solo on this one. And you're like, you're either like, yes, finally don't have to deal with all these slackers around here. You're either like that or you're like, well, I can't do this by myself. Who does he think I am? Whichever way you go there with the responsibility that you and I have as a child of God, we have somebody with us because the Holy Spirit is also known as a helper. Amen? Also known as a helper. And so he, what he likes to do is he likes to, he likes to set people up for us to talk to. He likes to set people up. And he does it a couple of different ways, and I'm going to finish with these, but I want you to listen because I want, I want us to get to the point where when we walk out of here, we're looking for opportunities like this. And there's several different ways, but I'm going to talk about three. And the first way is this. What the Holy Spirit does is he convicts people through Scripture. He convicts people through Scripture. Um, in Acts chapter 8, we read the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. This was a political figure from Ethiopia. And one day Philip comes across this Ethiopian eunuch and he's reading scripture. So God's already been working in this man's life because he's he's reading scripture. He feels a need to read scripture and to try to understand. So Philip walks up and he goes, well, hey there, what you reading? And he goes, I'm, you know, I'm reading Isaiah. He goes, do you understand what you're reading? He goes, well, how can I understand what I'm reading if I don't have somebody to tell me what it means? And Philip goes, ah, ha, 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 I can tell you what it means. And so he sits down with him, and he begins to explain things to him. And as they're talking, and as the Ethiopian is understanding, he looks off to the side, and what does he see but a body of water? And he says, look, a body of water. What is to keep me from being baptized in that body of water? And Philip says, well, let's go. And they go down to the water, and the Ethiopian is baptized into Christ, and then he goes rejoicing on his way. But he was in Scripture, and the Holy Spirit was using that to bring him to that, to that end. What end? Salvation. What's another way that he works these things out? Well, another way that he does it is he sets people up through circumstances uh, things that are going on in their in the lives around them and we see a story about paul and silas in acts chapter 16 uh, you know poor old paul and silas have just been out doing what the lord told them to do they're preaching they're preaching about jesus and they get thrown in jail for it so what most people do i guess i guess they did what most people do when they get thrown in jail they started singing and praising the lord isn't that what happens that's what they did. They were rejoicing and singing to the Lord through the night, giving him praise. And all of a sudden, there's this earthquake, and the jail doors swing open. This was not supposed to happen, because if any of these prisoners got away, that would mean death for the jailer. 
But the jailer rushes into the, the cell and he falls down on his knees and he asks, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? See, what the Holy Spirit did is he used these circumstances to convict him of his need. And he knew who he needed to turn to. I'll turn to these two men who are singing and praising the Lord. And I'll ask them what I need to do to be saved. And Paul and Silas told him and he and the rest of his family, he and the rest of his family were baptized into Christ. But if that situation, if that circumstance hadn't taken place and if Paul and Silas hadn't been placed there, knowing full well what to say when somebody asked them, what must I do to be saved? See, God set it up. He set the situation up. You know, all along, it's just amazing to me to think about God and how he knows all along what's going to happen. And here we are like, whoops, just about lost it. But God, what if this? What if that? What if this? And we're thinking about all the things that could happen. And we're trying to tell God this might happen and that might happen. I can't do this. And he already knows. He's already set it up. Scripture says he has already set up the good works for us to do. So he used this circumstance for this jailer and for his family. And to, to reach a, a certain end. And what was that end? It was salvation, not just for the jailer, but for his family as well. And then finally, the Spirit sets people up by convicting them, and we've already kind of talked about this, convicting them of sin. Now, in Acts chapter 2, we find another story. There's a big old crowd, and they're gathered for the Feast of Pentecost. And this is in Jerusalem. And so Peter gets up, and he begins to teach, and he begins to preach about Jesus. He tells them about how God sent Jesus to be the Messiah, and that the people there had crucified him. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, that when they heard what Peter was saying, that they were cut to the heart. What does that mean? They were convicted. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and they said to the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? What shall we do? And the response was this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. And you do that for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who's kind of been hanging around anyway. Who's kind of, you know, who's kind of been working anyway. So he used scripture. He used circumstances. And he uses convicting people of their sin to see their need for him. That day, there were 3,000 people that were baptized into Christ. 3,000 people. Can you imagine how Peter, how the apostles felt when that took place? Can you imagine the, the celebration that took place in heaven? It's exciting. It's exciting for us to think about thousands of years later of that taking place. So, it's our job to witness about Jesus it's our job to tell people what a special Savior, friend, person that He is and what He means to us in our lives. And as we're doing this, we don't do it alone because the Holy Spirit is there to help us. He is our helper. And He kind of gets things ready for us because He, he kind of primes the pump, so to speak. Because he works on convicting the heart 
of the lost person, just as Scripture says, and their need for righteousness and their understanding that there's going to be coming judgment. And working all that in there gets them ready to hear what you and I have to say about our Savior. And we can say things, oh, our God saves. Our God saves and he knows my name and he walks with me and he calls me his own. And he's changed my life. And let me tell you what he's done. Let me show you what he's done for me. And he can do that for you or it may be something entirely different that he's going to do in your life. But it cannot happen unless you turn your life over to him. Open up the door of your life and let Jesus in. The benefits are too many to name and to number. But it is the most important decision that you and I will ever make. And then later on in John chapter 16, we learn that the Spirit guides us into all truth. The Spirit guides us into all truth. And part of that is that He wants us to know who we are in Christ. Holy, righteous, blameless, justified, no condemnation. Think about that. And He offers, or He affirms, I think that so many times we we look at the Holy Spirit and we, we think, again, disappointment, uh, pointing fingers at us. But he, he wants to affirm our identity. He wants to affirm who we are. He is all about affirmation. I want you an assurance. I want you to be assured. I want you to know and I want you to be assured who you are. And so more than walking through the, the rooms of our heart and saying, Ick, what a mess, how can you live like this? He wants us to understand that, yes, there are times when you make bad choices. And you need to understand that. But take a look around and marvel at what God has done in your heart and in your life and who he has made you. And therein lies another reason for us to go and tell people how awesome and special Jesus is to us.